Hey folks, Patrick Gale here. Welcome to the podcast of the third annual Makers and Shakers Summit. Tonight we bring you three speakers from the summit held at Ampersand Studios in Summersworth, New Hampshire. The Makers and Shakers Summit brings together proactive individuals from in and around the seacoast of New Hampshire to talk and connect on ideas and happenings in their community. Hope you enjoy. Here's your host, Sarah Duclos. Hello, everybody. So my name is Sarah Duclos, and I am the artistic director of Neoteric Dance Collaborative. If you don't know what that is, it's a contemporary dance company um, that does professional work here in the Seacoast. And we are, our artistic home is Summersworth. So we do a lot of events here and elsewhere throughout the region. And I am here to introduce new faces at Makers and Shakers this year. And the first is the owner of Milk Thistle Media which caters to the media strategy needs of small businesses all across the seacoast. While she specializes in content marketing, she will do nearly anything and everything to help her clients succeed. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I introduce Maker and Shakers 2015's first speaker, Minta Carlson. I have this distinct memory. Well, it's actually a memory of a dream. In my dream, I was a teenager and my family had moved to this dilapidated old city. It was full of all of these strange people and the buildings looked like they had been painted with mud. Um, I would walk through the city and get completely lost. I had never felt so out of place. In the dream, there was this little girl. She was a street urchin covered with all these colorful scarves. She was the one bright thing in that city, and I would follow her around. That girl was fearless. She was fearless, and it scared me. She would monkey up the rafters of old theater buildings and walk the catwalks laughing at my insistence that she should come down from there she danced, her fingertips touching the rooftop, her scarves would bellow, she was never afraid. This was the most vivid dream I've ever had. And this is that girl. I was a pretty fearless kid myself, nowhere near as athletic as my dream self, but I was never afraid to talk to a stranger, to be myself, to tell people what I thought. But apparently, uh, kids grow up. And I learned about that, about growing up. There are a lot of questions you start asking when you grow up. Am I pretty? Am I wearing the right stuff? Am I cool? Does anyone really like me? Those questions pile up, each one like a heavy mound of dirt, and soon that fearless girl from my dream was grubby, buried, and making the most of my dreamscape alone. She was completely hidden. I, on the other hand, I was a worried girl. The kind of person who stands on a scale every single day just to know their weight who doesn't raise their hand in class that much anymore. And I left high school a worried girl and entered college a terrified girl 
but what I cared about doing was being good at what I did. People don't know this about me, but I was actually a chem major when I started college. I actually tutored the chem class that I was enrolled in, and I got paid by the college. I was in an organometallic chem lab where I created crystals every day. It was awesome. And I may have been worried, but I'm grateful for the people who did recognize that there was a fearless trapeze artist covered in that mountain's worry. And then came an age-old story. Girl neglects all the significant details of her life. Girl quits chemistry to become a theater major. Girl never actually gets cast in any plays, so she decides to write all of her own and direct them. Girl puts on one of the plays she wrote. Girl makes an awful mess of her life. Girl has a nervous breakdown. You know that story, right? Let me start by saying that my mom was the only person who wholeheartedly supported my choice to leave college. I had great professors, and they were supportive, but they were clearly disappointed. My friends didn't know what the hell was going on, and I don't think they still do. <laughs> um, my extended family, I found out, thought I was throwing everything away. But somewhere in my nervous breakdown, my fearless child had dug her way out, and she was mad, and she had things to say. You need to leave this place, she shouted at me. You're making yourself sick. She was brutally honest. None of this means anything if your heart isn't in it. So I left. At the end of my junior year, I snuck out, submitted my leave of absence, and I went home. I slept, and I breathed. And then came another age-old story. Girl works, and works, and works, and works, and works some more. She reads, she writes, and she does not compromise. Girl discovers that she didn't really need to finish college anyway. She just needed to do what she wanted to do and stick to it. So. Unleashing your fearless inner child can be incredibly taxing, but the rewards are endless. In the past four years, I've started listening to myself. I've started really embracing the ideas that I have, even if they seem a little far-fetched at first. I'm still full of a lot of worry. Sometimes it runs my life. There are good days and there are bad days. In the past two years, I've started really writing. The fearless girl in me noticed that I was really concerned about our local farms and about the food. I had been working in restaurants and reading a lot of books, and things just weren't adding up. You should write about that, she told me. I explained I didn't have anywhere to write. Start a blog, she suggested. I had never started a blog, but I did it anyway. It was the first website I made, and now I've made eight websites for many different people. You can do more, she said. So I contacted the Portsmouth Herald. They let me write for them. Amazingly, I had no journalism background. Um, she said, you can do even more than that. 
So I began writing for another publication. One of them shut down, but I just kept moving forward and started talking. And I started wondering why it was so hard for people, why it was so hard for farms, why, it was, why other people didn't see the things I was seeing, why their websites were so hard to follow, why social media was so difficult for people. And she, my fearless child said, you can do something about that. And so I started working on a business model. Milk Thistle Media. It had a very vague purpose at first, just to help farms. And I worked from there. It's grown from farms to boutiques, furriers, nutritionists, caterers, herbalists. The thing about Milk Thistle Media and about social media is that you have to be fearless and you have to be authentic. When I started, I started thinking about the world and social media the way I thought about people when I was a kid, the way I talked to people fearlessly when I was a kid. I stopped worrying about reaching out. I allowed authenticity, quirks and all. We all need to stop thinking that being an adult means we need to grow up. Grown-ups are scared people. They're inflexible. To market well, we need to be flexible. To use social media effectively, look for your colorful wild child. Don't be afraid of them. Stop second-guessing. As writers, promoters, and people, we all need to stop second-guessing. Just listen. Follow. You'll know where you're going. Thank you. Our next speaker is a man of many talents. He is a filmmaker and owner of the video production company Film Unbound. Film Unbound recently live-streamed and filmed TEDx Piscataqua River at 3S Art Space in Portsmouth. And in addition to that, the company runs Portsmouth Short Film Night. I have had the pleasure of working closely with our next speaker as he happens to do all of the video media for my dance company. And I also have the great pleasure of calling him my friend. Please welcome to the stage, Michael Rodriguez Torrent. Hi, my name is Michael and as Sarah said, I'm a filmmaker. I live and work in Portsmouth, and my company is called Film Unbound, and we make fictional films and documentary films, and also get hired by clients to produce videos about their organizations. But I have a confession to make. When I told you I was a filmmaker there, it's a lie. I'm not really a filmmaker. I, I didn't grow up making home movies with my friends or go to film school. I've not even made a feature film yet. You know, I, I've just gotten lucky that a few people have hired me so far to make videos for them. I'm, I'm a fraud. <laughs> Does any of that sound familiar? Yeah. yeah. You felt like you're worried that you don't really know what you're doing, that you know you've, you've kind of gotten lucky so far, that you're fooling everyone, that one day everybody's going to figure you out. It's going to realize that you're the imposter that you really are. And there's a word for that, there's a term, it's uh, imposter syndrome. And as we've said, a lot of us kind of feel like that at various points in our lives. And you know, maybe that starts from childhood, maybe it starts with this 
insidious idea that the adults know what they're doing. Because they must, right? They're running the world, yeah? They've got these jobs, these roles that we perceive them in, and they seem really confident. And I think as a child, I definitely had a disconnect between who I was and you know, the idea that one day I could be an astronaut or something like that. You know, I'd, I don't know, maybe I just thought I would grow up and it would magically happen. Um, or maybe I just didn't really think about it at all. And I think the first time I did, the first time I kind of realized that that's not how it works was in um, middle school. A friend of mine told me that she was going to be an actress when she grew up. Now, I you know, watch movies and like movies, but I'd never really thought about who made them or, or who was in them. I mean, to me, these actors, these stars, they had no relation to me as a person. You know, they might as well have been an alien race. You know, I, could, I could never be that. And when she told me this, her name was Katie Barr, and this is like, this is a plan, this is set, this is what she was going to do, and her screen name was going to be Candy Barr. <laughs> and I thought, wow, yeah, of course, those are real people, those are normal people, and I could do that, you know, that, that might be fun. So I, when I went to high school, I started doing some theater, and I loved it. I had a great time, and after a couple of years of that, I decided after much agonizing about career prospects that I was going to go to college for theater. And I did, and I had a blast. And during that time, I kind of got a little more interested in filmmaking. My school didn't have a film program, uh, but I joined the filmmaking club and took the one independent filmmaking class we had and uh, made a short film. But I was daunted by this filmmaking crowd that was there. I mean, here were these people who were obsessed with film. They had encyclopedic knowledge of movies and directors, and I just thought, I'm not like that. These are real filmmakers. I mean, I don't live and breathe it like they do. How can I compete with them? And so that was kind of it. I didn't really do much more filmmaking during college. And after I graduated, I was sort of at a loose end. And I met a nice Scottish girl named Catherine, and I moved to Scotland. Um, <laughs> and uh, I found work as a web applications programmer. Uh, but then over the next few years, this kind of interest in filmmaking sort of resurfaced and kind of came to a point where I said, yeah, you know, I'd like to give this a try. You know, I'd like to at least see what I can do. And so we bought our first camera and we made a short film. And shortly after that, we moved back to the US and I decided that if I was really gonna give filmmaking a try, I needed to make a clean break from programming and spend all my effort and work full time on the film stuff. Um, and so I did. And now, a few years later, I've made a handful of shorts. And I'm now hired regularly to produce and shoot and edit videos. But here again, I feel like I don't belong. I mean, the professionals that I see around me that I work with have all been to film school or you know, come up through the TV industry or apprenticed on big Hollywood sets. And, who am I? I'm, I'm nobody. I, I, I don't have any real training. And I live in fear when I tell people that I'm a filmmaker that they find that out. That, you know, they're going to say, oh, so what have you done? And I'm going to say, well, nothing. I'd, what do you know? Well, next to nothing. Um, and there's truth in that, you know? Like I said, I, I haven't made or even worked on a feature. I, my short films haven't won any awards. But it's a warped truth, right? Because maybe the reason my shorts haven't won any awards is because I've submitted them to zero festivals so far. 
and maybe the reason I haven't made a short film is because I haven't sat my butt down and spent the time and effort that it takes to realize such a like gargantuan task. And you know, maybe that's all because I'm just so afraid of failing that I just kneecap myself before I even begin. And maybe that's because I can't see the whole truth, which is that I have done things. You know, I have now spent hundreds of hours filming. I have spent innumerable days editing. And I've accomplished things. And it's not that we should feel happy with who we are and where we are all the time, because then we'd stop driving forward. But we have to give ourselves credit, right? We have to be able to look back and see that we've been on a journey that we've gone through these experiences and that they have led to where we are today, that we have you know, learned things and we've worked and uh, we have every much, every, as much right to be here as, as anyone else. But of course, there's a coda to that because it's not that easy, right? When we're struggling to finish something, it's hard to remember that we've finished things before, that we've done things, or you know, if we've just lost out on a gig, that we've had work before and we will again. Though maybe, though, if we can just find the resilience and the sheer bloody-mindedness to continue, we'll be okay. And I think hopefully things like this help, you know, reminders that there's other people that feel the same way, that feel like imposters. And also looking back on our work, at our portfolios, at our resumes. Recently, I've been working on putting together a reel, which is a, a video of kind of short clips of, of my work, of things that I've done. And doing that has been great. It's made me realize that I've done more than I remember, more than I thought I had done. And I've got some nice shots. And, and I've you know, finished some projects. And I have made films. And I am a filmmaker. Um, <laughs> and I'm not an imposter. So my name is Michael, and I'm a filmmaker. So the last speaker of this block is the project manager for Plant for Growth. Plant for Growth is originally a collaboration between the University of New Hampshire and the city of Summersworth, and it is a youth initiative that teaches young citizens how to garden, cook, and more. Please welcome to the stage Sarah Garska. Uh, thank you, Sarah. Um, so before I start, I just want to say this is this is really cool, right? Like, I can only imagine how many hours of planning and hard work went into making this happen tonight, and so it's really awesome that there are so many people here. Thank you all for being here. As Sarah told you, my name is Sarah Garska. I'm the project manager for Plant for Growth, which is a youth gardening initiative. Um, it was a collaboration between the University of New Hampshire. Uh, it started in the May of 2012. So typically, I like to start my speeches by letting my audience in on a secret, which is that I am way unprepared, because usually I am. And this is because I prefer to extemporize. It comes more naturally to me. I mean, I made a slideshow, and I even have flashcards, though admittedly, some of them are just doodles that I drew. This is a picture of a cat reminding me to smile while I'm up here. Um, so. I have to start, unfortunately, by bumming everybody out. Um, I have kind of a sad story to share, and I haven't told it very many times. It's all very recent. And so I opted just to tackle it and get it out of the way so that I have like the next seven minutes to cheer you all back up before the next speaker. So the 
uh, project, Plan for Growth, has been a collaboration between the University of New Hampshire and the Summers Earth Youth Safe Haven. And unfortunately, there are nine days left of school. The Safe Haven will be closing at the end of the school year. The uh, program coordinator is retiring for her health and uh, they decided just to close it and all of the kids who are there will hopefully mingle into other uh, after-school programs in the area. Um, some of them may slip through the cracks. And so we're very sad about that. And we were faced with sort of like what to do with the garden project. The garden is located next to the safe haven. It's on the property. And it's beautiful. And it's full of infrastructure that was donated. And it was a collaboration. And so many people have put work into it. And we didn't want to see it go. And so we all got together and we decided to gift it, and me, of course, as a project manager, to the Summersworth Early Learning Center. So they'll be taking it over after this year. Safe Haven is one of those really incredible places that sort of catches all those kids that slip through the cracks. So we're really sad to see it go. Like I said, we have nine days left, so we're just kind of enjoying every minute that we have with the kids, and then we just hope for the best after that. So now we're going to move on to the fun stuff. So I crammed this presentation with pictures of really cute kids. I have a theory that there is nothing that breaks a heart quite like a kid smiling and holding a vegetable. It's just... So this is the Plan for Growth Garden. Um, so like I said, it's located in Summersworth. It's behind the Summersworth Youth Safe Haven, which is in the, the Summersworth Housing Authority. It's on Bartlett and Verona, for those of you who are in the area and know. So this was the result of three and a half years of really, really hard work and a lot of collaborations and donations from lots of different di disciplines at UNH. So we worked on it one project at a time. The garden beds went in there first. The shed went up uh, the bench there and the stepping stones in the middle. But before I can really talk about where the project is now, I need to talk about the history. So it was, a, like I mentioned, it was a collaboration between UNH and the Safe Haven. Uh, it was really the brainchild of Kate Hansen, who is the uh, co-founder of the Community Leadership Program at the Thompson School of Applied Science, which is actually where I started my education back in 2011. And so it was her and a couple of her classes with the help of a student organization called Aspiring Hands, which volunteers at the Safe Haven, who kind of made this entire thing happen. I jumped onto the project in the May of 2012. So it was right after the garden beds were in, right after the planning was done, right when we were ready to start planting it. So like I mentioned, it was a collaboration. It's really always been a partnership between the two. Everything that's in the garden has been donated by some discipline. So like the garden beds, for example, came from the UNH sawmill. We have an irrigation system put in that was the, the horticulture program at UNH. And it was primarily Thompson School of Applied Science, which is their two-year program inside UNH. So I divided the rest of this presentation into the goals. So essentially, I'm going to tell you what each of the goals were of the project when we started it, but also sort of what we're doing to achieve them and what we've been doing and what we hope to do in the future. I'm going to talk primarily about the safe haven. We haven't started working with Summers or the Early Learning Center so much yet, and so I'm really going to let them have this shine because they're closing and they deserve it and they've been there the whole time. So all of the goals that we talk about are all going to tie back to 
this uh, one big ultimate overriding broad goal, which is that we were creating a model of academic engagement, collaborative community building, and shared learning in order to illustrate how a shared garden can become the center of significant community learning and development. So that was a mouthful, that's a big goal. Basically what we did was, we have a physical garden in a physical lot, but what we really developed was a model so that other after school programs all around the country could do the exact same thing that we're doing. So with the use of a big university that has tons of resources and an after school program and a summer camp that doesn't have those resources. So some of the goals related to a gardening project are probably pretty obvious. So for example, we're teaching the children how to garden. That's a pretty obvious goal. And it really is the simple things like watering, how much to water the plants, pulling weeds, maintaining the garden, planting, how far apart do you plant them, uh, thinning like carrots. And I have to admit, my understanding of how to garden, my agricultural knowledge was about as much as the kids was when we started this project. Um, and so I've learned a lot too as I've uh, done this. But some of these kids have learned some more advanced things as we've gone on as I've learned some more advanced things. Some of them could tell you, for example, a variety of ways that you could squash out a squash bug problem. We had a pest problem a couple years ago. Some of them might be able to explain to you how to apply beneficial nematodes and why you would do that. So I think that's pretty cool. We're doing the simple stuff and the more complex stuff. We're also teaching kids some basic nutrition and culinary skills. So I actually started, like I mentioned, at the Thompson School. I was a dietetic technology major and sort of mostly nutrition, but with a lot of culinary arts in it. So I've done a lot of culinary things with these kids. And part of becoming a registered dietetic technician is that you have to put in 90 hours of like community-related work in nutrition. Uh, and that was how I started here. And so I started with the garden and then got roped into the safe haven in so many other ways. I coached their basketball team this past winter. That was how I got started, and it's really been a staple of the program ever since. So every single year, when the dietetic technology students are doing their community practice rotation, they're coming over to the safe haven, they're teaching these kids all kinds of nutrition things and culinary things. This is a great example. A kid who claimed to hate a vegetable, and then I taught her how to make her own teriyaki sauce, and we grilled it up, loved it. So another maybe obvious goal is fighting food insecurity in the community. Big caveat, caveat here, simultaneously increasing the intake of fresh, healthy foods. That's a big deal because obviously if we're working with a lower income neighborhood, it's important that they have food, but it's really important to me that they have real good fresh food, not you know, the junk food that is maybe less expensive. So if I can figure it out, I'll post these slides to my social media, facebook.com slash planforgrowth. We're I have a website on the Thompson Schools page. Uh, you can email me or you can come chat with me during any of the intermissions. Happy to answer everybody's questions. You can always come visit. I will let you take home all the free weeds that you want. Um, and then if you wanted to know more about the Safe Haven or about the Early Learning Center where the garden is located and the kids who do all the work, you can go to either of those websites. I also brought a ton of annual reports, um, so you can snag one of those. They're on the table on the way out. And of course, again, like us on Facebook, I post a ton of stuff and so I love it when other people actually see it instead of just me. So, thank you.
Thanks everyone for tuning in to the first podcast of the third annual Makers and Shakers Summit from 2015. Tune in next week for three more speakers from the summit. I'm Patrick Gale. Have a great week. Whispers, one naked day.